to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to a special extra episode of the podcast. Last week, Russell Dalgleish, chairman of the Scottish Business Network, interviewed Craig Brown, the last manager to lead the Scottish football team to the World Cup finals. Any Scottish football fan of a certain age will remember the thrill of seeing Scotland line up against Brazil for the opening match in Paris almost 23 years ago. And we almost managed to draw before pulling off the inevitable glorious failure. Craig Brown was a key figure in a golden period for Scottish football and a coach who was in many ways ahead of his time in the thoughtful way that he approached the game and led the players. And despite the steely resilience required of a manager steering a national team through ups and downs, Craig also has a well-deserved reputation for being one of Scottish sports' standout good guys. With some great questioning from Russell, I'd better watch my job, this is a wonderful listen for anyone interested in Scottish football and what it takes to be an effective leader. There are also loads of very funny anecdotes. Look out for the Aga Khan one. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to the Scottish Business Network podcast, which is available on Apple Music, Spotify and all the usual podcast platforms. How are you, Craig? How are you keeping at this very difficult time? Well, uh, I'm OK. I had a health scare a couple of months ago. I must admit, I had an aneurysm, which right. took me by surprise. Uh-huh. And uh, I was in hospital for a couple of weeks, but I'm OK now, thank you. So was, was that, um, were you in hospital before the numbers on COVID really started to escalate and made it very busy? No, it was busy enough then. It was in the Aberdeen Royal Infirmary and it was oh, busy because it was, you know, the COVID situation had emerged a bit before I was taken in with the, they call it AAA, abdominal aneurysm of the aorta. So wow. it was quite a serious injury I had, but I'm okay now. Thank you very much. I, I love that um, that football comment that you would describe that as an injury. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> an illness. It's, it's, it seems, like, it, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it seems, it's genuinely quite life-threatening normally. Uh-huh. And I was very fortunate because I managed to survive. Well, uh, that is that is superb news because it's... Um, thank you. He- he- health is such a concern for us all. And you, you're 80 this year, is that correct? That's correct. I have been. I was in July, so I'm an octogenarian oh, wow. now. Eighty-one. I'm an old man. I'm an old man now. <laughs> and are you, are you based in Aberdeen? Is that home? Yes, but I'm down in Ayrshire now with my family to recover from the the operation. Good. It's good to have your family around you, particularly at this yes. time. Yes, thank you. So we're um, we're we're making this recording today, and it will go out to our. Diaspora. So these are, are the Scots around the world who've um, all got together to sort of form Scottish Business Network. And we're there to support each other and to, to, to share our, our passion and our love for Scotland. And for, for so much of my life, I'm 57 now, you were at the core of that as um, manager of the, the Scotland football team. But w- what was your journey to that? Because you, you played as well. Well, I played, I was a very uh, modest, dare I say, indifferent player, <laughs> you know. But I was a good youth player, but uh, I think it was all downhill after after I became a senior player. But I was a youth international player, and, you know, my claim to fame really is that I played with the two most famous men in Scottish football when I was a youth player. And I think most people would agree that maybe, excluding Kenny Dalgleish, the most famous 
guy who won the European Cup was Billy McNeil. Yeah. And uh, sadly, Billy passed away last year. But Billy was uh, just a slightly older than I am. And I was in the same international youth team and schools team as Billy. And then the next man that won the European Championship or European Cup as a manager was Alec Ferguson. Uh-huh. So, you know, I really feel quite honoured in that. I played at the under-18 level of the Scottish national team, first of all with Billy, and I was aged the next year again. And I played with Alec then. He wasn't Sir Alec. I've got to remember to put the Sir in there. <laughs> but, so so my, my youth football career was good. But, uh, you know, it was a very modest senior career, I'm afraid. And, and that journey from player into coach or manager is one that we see so many football players try to travel on. But it's, it's something very difficult to be successful and particularly to have had the success you've had. Well, I was very fortunate in that, you know, I, I started at Rangers and uh, um, I never got a game for Rangers. I was never good enough. I was the third choice <laughs> left back. And, uh, and after three years, I went to Dundee and I played with an illustrious and uh, well-known manager called uh, Bob Shankly, the brother of Bill Shankly. Yeah. So I was fortunate. I was in the squad that won the championship with Dundee and that was 1962. So it's given my age away. Uh, and uh, after that, uh, I went to Falkirk. Right. And I think a guy summed up my career because he was watching the game and he was saying, Brown, you're hopeless. This is the worst game I've ever been at. And I thought, it's unwise to talk back to a supporter, but I'll just tell him what I think. So he, he gave me another shout how hopeless I was, and the game was terrible. And I said, well, you're the mug. You paid to get in. He said, you'll be paying next season, <laughs> which I thought was very good. So... He put me in my place, but I was I was nine, ten years a professional player before I started coaching. At the same time, I was training to be a teacher, so mm-hmm. I had the escape route from football if it wasn't doing well. In fact, my longest spell with a club was at Clyde, and I was a teacher at the same time. Right, okay. And, but but how did you go about that journey? Because it, you know there are there are many many football players, but very few who make that transition into management. And I just wondered how, how did you make that journey? Well, well, it was uh, quite fashionable uh, in those days to go to the coaching course and right. to learn as a player. Now we were encouraged at Dundee to go to the National SFA course at Largs. It's now a UEFA course, and uh, quite a number of the players, as, as middle 20s, that was quite young to be a coach. So we went, and it took us three years to get to the A licence. And I managed to get my A licence when I was uh, still playing. So when I finished playing, I was teaching then, and uh, I was, in actual fact, I had a job in Craigie College. I was lecturing in education at the College of Education. And uh, I was a part-time uh, footballer. Then I was a part-time manager of Clyde Football Club. And I was nine years doing that, combining the two. So it, it was the normal route is straight from playing into being coaching, if yeah. possible. And then that's a full-time situation. But I was semi-pro or part-time. So it, wasn't a, it was a smooth route for me, but it wasn't the normal route. But, but it sounds like you were quite a, a serious young man because that, that, that takes quite a lot of planning because you're, you're, you're juggling a, a couple of balls at the same time there while you're going through that transition. Yes, well, uh, it, 
did take a bit of planning because you're looking ahead and you want to stay in football because you love football, or I did anyway. And the guys who are playing, they're, they're, I think everyone's ambition is to stay in the game as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm the luckiest guy in Scotland because I stayed from the age of 18 until just recently there. I was a director of Aberdeen. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, all those years, 60 years in, in the professional game of football. And uh, that was combined for half of that time, at least half of that time, with a teaching career. So, you know, my hobby was my job and football was my hobby. And in 1996, I went full-time football to join the SFA. So there's no one luckier than I am, I can assure you, Russell. And what was your experience in your your first couple of jobs as a a coach or a manager of teams? Well, I was lucky. I I was appointed assistant manager of Motherwell. That was my first coaching job. And that was because at the coaching course at Lars, I was friendly with one or two guys, and one was Willie McLean mm-hmm. uh, from the famous McLean family, Jim McLean's brother, his older brother, Willie. Willie was an excellent manager at Motherwell and at various other clubs, Queen of the South, Race Rovers, Morton. But he invited me to be his assistant manager. And I was three years with Willie at Motherwell, and then I was appointed. Billy McNeil, as I said to you earlier, was a friend of mine, Billy was the Clyde manager, uh-huh. and he went from Clyde to uh, to Aberdeen. And when he got the Aberdeen job, he recommended me to the Clyde board because I was friendly with them, and they appointed me as the manager of Clyde, and that was in the second division. So <laughs> uh, I went from assistant manager of Motherwell to be manager of Clyde Football Club, uh-huh. and I was nine years there, and it was a very enjoyable experience. But 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 the transition from being club manager, you then you then moved into joining the the SFA. And That's right. That was well, in a managerial I, role that was in more of a. Well, I was, I was uh, while I was at Clyde. You know, I, I did part time coaching for the SFA because I was full time lecturing in the college at Craigie College in Ayr, uh-huh. and therefore I had uh, two or three strings to my bow, and I went from uh, being a. Uh, part-time manager of Clyde to be assistant manager when Andy Roxburgh got the Scotland job. But the man that introduced me to the SFA was Alec Ferguson because I got a strange phone call one day. I was working at the college and the secretary came along and said, you've phoned a Mr Ferguson at uh, Aberdeen. Huh? And she gave me the Aberdeen number and I thought, "This is I think this is Ali McCoy winding me up. <laughs> <laughs> so I phoned, I phoned and it was Alec and he said, Brun, they call me Brun. How would you like the holiday of a lifetime? And I said, what, what are you talking about? He says, I have to take the Scottish team. You know that because Jockstein sadly passed away. Yeah. And they've asked me to take the team temporarily. And I'm getting my staff put together to go to Mexico. How would you like the holiday of a lifetime in Mexico? I said, well, I've got a job. I, I need to work here. You know, I'm not full-time football. He said, well, ask for a month's unpaid leave of absence. Uh-huh. See what see what happens. Well, I did that, and the governors of the college gave me a month's leave of absence with pay. They thought it was an honour, uh-huh. and that was my introduction because Sir Alec, Alec asked me to go as one of the staff. Walter Smith, Archie Knox, and myself were the we were the coaches yeah. in Mexico in 1986. So that's how I was introduced to uh, to the SFA through Alec. And when I came back, Alec didn't want the Scottish job. He wanted to stay in club management. Uh-huh. Andy Roxburgh got the job. And uh, Andy asked me to be his assistant. 
and uh, take charge of the under-21 team at the same time. So that was a, a, a good appointment for me. Not many jobs in football would have had me give up my teaching career, but I gave it up in 1986 to be full-time football. And, and I wonder whatever happened to Alec Ferguson when he, he, he turned down that opportunity. I hope, I hope he got on OK. <laughs> well, I can give you an exclusive in your programme here, in your, in your podcast, because while he was in Mexico, he was offered the job of Arsenal and the job of Tottenham. Right. Now that you can you know, you look at the history book, you'll see that he declined both because uh-huh. he wanted to stay in uh, uh, in uh, Scotland at the moment, and he was the Aberdeen manager at that time rather, and he declined, and he said to them, "I'll tell you after the World Cup." Now a director of Tottenham met a director of Arsenal and said, we're getting Alec Ferguson. He says, no, we're getting him. And then they realised that one of them was going to be let down. So I gather that both went and got a new manager, and Alec was left as the Aberdeen manager. So uh, Aberdeen uh, obviously were doing exceptionally well with Alec in charge, and he started the, the next season in charge of the team. And by September, Manchester United were doing badly. Yeah. And Gordon Strachan, who had played for Alec at Aberdeen, apparently recommended him to the chairman, the owner of uh, Manchester United. Yeah. And the rest, I think, is history because Indeed. Indeed. he went there in 1986. An amazing tale. So you, you, so you found yourself in the, in the Scottish Football Association at, at, at quite a time where, where Scotland had some very good players and were, were successfully playing yes. around the world and, and winning. Yes, that's right. I, I, I was very fortunate. You know, now we've just qualified for a tournament. Uh, yeah. You know, last month, a terrific achievement with Stevie Clark. Now, you know, when I think back, I was so lucky because I was at five major tournaments with Scotland. <laughs> I was at three World Cups. The, uh-huh. the one that we've mentioned, Mexico, Alec took me to Mexico. Then Andy Roxburgh qualified for uh, Italy in 1990. I was there and then I managed to qualify myself in 98. So, three World Cups and two European Championships. The only two we've ever been at until this one we've just qualified for. And I don't recall in those days the same hype. You know, it was no. just expected. It would be more a disgrace if he didn't qualify. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas we managed to, you know, Andy, I think, had an exceptional achievement because he qualified for uh, going to um, the, the World Cup in... in uh, in Italy, mm-hmm. in 1990, when only only eight European teams yeah. qualified. Now, now 24 qualified. Same with the European Championship. Andy qualified for the European Championship 92 uh-huh. in Sweden. Eight teams qualified, and the Scotland were in the top eight in Europe in, in these days, 1992. But uh, no, in 96, when I managed to get the team. We got to uh, the, uh, the European Championship in England. 16 qualified, so it was should have been easier to qualify when 16. And now it's 24. So because there are a proliferation of uh, countries playing, the Soviet Union was split into 15 countries. Yeah. And uh, the old Yugoslavia was split into six. Yeah. So there are now 55 countries in uh, UEFA playing. Well, when I started with Andy, I think it was 38 or something. Uh, so there's now much more, uh, well, more competition numerically. But the standard, obviously, when the Soviet Union is now split into 15, clearly, and Russia is one of them. 
it should be easier to play against some of these countries. But many of them, people are mistaken, many of them are bigger than Scotland. Yes, they and, are. And, 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 and wealthier. We should, we should remember that, what we're doing. But you, you, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned 1996 and 1998. So, you know, to, 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 to be the Scotland manager walking out at, at Wembley in the European Championships, presumably that must have been a, an unforgettable moment. Yes, I think so. I think obviously that was, you know, it was a great feeling. Uh-huh. But at the time, you, you, I don't say I ever took it for granted, but uh-huh. it was expected. Uh-huh. And it was nothing, it wasn't a novel experience because it happened in the past, not in the European Championship. That was the first, the second, Andy was first, 92 yeah. and second. Now, Steve Clark has qualified for the third time. Yeah. And I think there have been about 15 or 16 European Championships. So, you know, Steve's done very, very well. And I think over the years between, you know, they keep saying, you know, I was the last guy to take them to a major. Now, I think we don't appreciate that the standard of player that we have now is nothing like as good as the standard of player I had. Yeah. I mean, without doubt, the players that, when I was with the Scottish team, they were playing at the top level in England. We had three at uh, uh, when I had the team with three in the champion team of England mm-hmm. and that was at Black, Blackburn Rovers Colin yeah. Henry Kevin Gallagher Billy McKinley now, they were the champions of England not just a team and now unfortunately successive managers have had to recruit from the first division the championship in England and it's not been I mean we had when I was with Andy we had three at Manchester United who were the top team we had uh, Strachan we had Jim Layton we had uh, Brian McClare and then you go over to Liverpool and you've got wonderful players there as well. You've got the Soonesses and the Douglas and you've got Steve Nicholl and terrific Gary Gillespie. So what, what's your... I feel sorry for successive managers because they haven't had the resources that we had. We had better players playing at a better level. And even I had a guy like Paul Lambert won the Champions League with Borussia Dortmund. The interview with Craig resumes in a few seconds after this. Do you need a communications expert to help you with your marketing, brand storytelling or strategic content? Find out what I, Fraser Allen, can provide at www.allencoms.co.uk. That's Allen with two L's and an E and comms with two M's. I'll ask you about the, the, the current players in a minute. But I was just wondering, what, what's your... Those two competitions in 96 and 98 are, are seared on the minds. It always, all I remember is sunshine. So what, what, what's your, your key memories of, of 1990, 1996 and the European Championships? Yeah, well, well, I think when you're as, as involved as I was, I think, you know, it's a bit of a bluff. <laughs> you know, it just passes like that. And, uh-huh. uh, but... Obviously, it was a great uh, honour to be with the Scottish team and to be, you know, I'm, I'm a Tartan Army guy, so to, to see them at close quarters and see the great enthusiasm they had for the team and the devotion mm-hmm. that they had. And I've got to put a, a word in for the Tartan Army here. You know, they go all over the world and their behaviour is, in the main, very, very good. Their generosity is exceptional. Mm-hmm. You know they have got uh, they've got credit for uh, you know disabled children throughout the world. They donate whatever we play. There's a donation to that country 
and it's for disabled children as a children's charity. And only last year, it's now sponsored by Adidas, which right. is a terrific help to the Tartan Army. It's not the SFA they're sponsoring, it's the Tartan Army, <laughs> because right. they're, de- de- they're donating to children's charities. And I think, and their humour is terrific, you know, everywhere you go, there's a smile on their face and they're jovial. And the, the assumption that they're drunk all the time is nonsense. You know, they like a drink, to be fair. <laughs> but I wouldn't subscribe to the fact that they're uh, drunken louts. And that, that's really offensive because I think they do so much good. There's so much good humour. You know, I'll give you an example. We had to play a game in uh, Monte Carlo, a, a rearranged game against Estonia. And we had a wonderful guy who was in charge of security, ex-chief superintendent Willie McDougall. And Willie and I were walking along in the marina the morning of the match, and the Tartan Army boys were there, and they had the rap scene as a bit vest and the kilt. How are you doing, Craig? How are you doing, Willie? We're doing fine, Willie. Say, are you boys behaving? Aye, we're behaving, Willie. Great, dude, it's great here. Look at these boats. Look at these boats. And Willie says, son, they're not boats. They're yachts, very expensive yachts. And he says, that one over there belongs to the Aga Khan. And the wee guy says, aye, my mom's got one of his cookers. <laughs> I was <laughs> crack. Now, that's the Tartan Army for you. They've, they've got a smile and a joke about everything. And I, I could tell you plenty, eh, but we've not got time for that. But, but I just love that one, the, the, the Aga Khan. I joined, um, I, I, I joined, I was part of the Tartan Army going down twice we went to um, to France. And, um, but, but I'd, I'd changed job. Um, just before we were going and I was a young man and I was opening my first major bank account and I went in to see the bank manager and I thought I'd put a tie on and the only tie I owned was the one I'd got from the Scottish Travel Club so I wore that tie and I went in there and the bank manager was quite dismissive of me as a young man and then he noticed my tie and all he wanted to do was to regale me of stories of his, his adventures with the Tartan Army. And he got all my paperwork sorted out in an instant. <laughs> well, it was that amazing experience. I think that's great for me. I think you deserve it if you're a member of the Tartan Army. You deserve it. The biggest bank loan you could ever want ask for. <laughs> Indeed. And of course, following on from that, you went on in 1998 to... Well, I, I still think of must have been was an incredible moment for Scotland when Scotland were the, um, playing in the opening game of that World Cup. And I imagine other, like this, the foot, half the football stadium was filled with um, uh, personalities and business people rather than normal um, football fans just because it was the opening game of the World Cup. How, how, how did you manage through that experience of the mayhem of it all? Well, it was a very fabulous... It was a fabulous experience, again, at the time... You're, you're wrapped up in other things and you're not really conscious of the fact that it's say, this is a momentous occasion. Uh-huh. But, you know, when the Prime Minister visits you the day before the match in, in Paris, uh-huh. uh, Tony Blair at the time, and when you're, it was uh, Donald Dewar saw us away, I think, here from Scotland, uh-huh. you know, you realise you're in the big time. And then, of course, uh, the, the guys like Rod Stewart come and Sean Connery, you know, it was a who's who of uh, of uh, personalities in that big game in Paris. Uh-huh. And we had a, a fabulous time, I think, with the team. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we didn't manage to qualify from the group, but I think we emerged with a fair amount of credit. Yeah. Certainly against uh, against Brazil. 
the one thing I'm most proud of, you know, I, I say, people say to you, it must be hard to handle these big stars. You know, you know, they're, they're millionaires. I, there's a talk I have, and it's called managing millionaires. Now, uh-huh. it was harder to be a millionaire then than it is now in football, because now in England, it's a wash with money. Yeah. In fact, many folks say, say, you know, it's the amount of money's obscene down there, but it wasn't quite as uh, wealthy then, but they were still very, very good, wealthy guys. And the people say it's a hard job managing them. I says, no, it's an easy job managing these guys because they are top players because of they've been responsive throughout their, their career. And I didn't find the slightest difficulty saying to the, the well-known top players what I wanted. And I, for example, you will put your jersey inside your shorts. You will have the same turnover in your stocking. You'll have no tape around the stockings. You know, and, and Stevie Nicholl looked to me once when he was playing and he says, Matt, hey, we've got red socks at Liverpool and we put the white tape round the bottom. I says, look, Stevie, this is not a pub team Liverpool. This is Scotland you're playing with. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, he, he smiled and he laughed and he took the tape off. You know, in, now I'm, I'm so proud of the team lined up for the anthem in Paris at that opening game. If you look at them, they are immaculate and everyone is singing the anthem. And and, I, and if you're an Anglo and you don't know the words, make your mouth go. <laughs> and, and people will feel that you're committed. And we, we actually used to teach, particularly when I had the young team, the under-21 team. Uh-huh. We had one or two Anglos there who were brought up in England and playing in England. We actually had to teach them the words. Oh, but wow. I was emphatic that we represented Scotland as well as we could. And there are certain things you can control and that is their dress and their, their attitude, their behaviour. You can't control a victory, unfortunately. You know, you, you've no control over that. Well, you've minimal control over that because there's opposition trying to spoil it. But when it's controllable, like the way you turn up and the timing, and, you know, of course, they said Aki's a school teacher, but the, the lads were all very responsive and none of them hold it against me as far as I'm aware. And, and you had some amazing characters in those teams as well, which I, I don't know if it's just as we get older, we feel the characters aren't quite there, but you had some very, um, you know, some, 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 some people that knew their mind. Yes, well, obviously, I, I, I mentioned, you can mention one or two of them, you know, I think if you mention Ali McCoy, because of his media presence nowadays and uh, over the years, you know that he must have been a wonderful character in the dressing room, and indeed he was. And uh, that was my biggest mistake. Uh, I've made a few mistakes in management, but the biggest mistake ever was not taking him in the squad to the World Cup. He had played in Euro 96. And after that, he had been unfit for quite a while and he hadn't played enough games. And it broke my heart to say to him, I phoned and asked to meet him and asked to meet Stuart McCall and said to them both, I'm not taking you in the squad to the World Cup. Well, they were heartbroken, the guys. Now, Ali's joked with me, he's teased me about it, but he's never really held it against me uh-huh. because he knows, I think, I don't know the exact number, but I think that season he'd only played maybe 11 games for, yeah. for his team and therefore it would have been an old pals act to take him. So yeah. I didn't take him. But in the dressing room, an example would be, uh, you know, he would say to John Collins, well, John, at this game, maybe one of the qualifying games, there was only 33,420 at the game. John says, wait a minute, Ali, the game's just finished. How do you know? 
there was 33,400. He says, how do I know? I was counting them, waiting a pass from you, you greedy rascal. <laughs> <laughs> well, well when, you've got, when you've got guys like that in the dressing room and they've got a bit of humour, it's, it's really great to have them. And, uh, you know, I made a mistake not taking them, I must admit. But I'm very interested in the in the care you took to tell the players who who weren't going to go to the um, weren't going to be able to travel to the World Cup with you because it's it's that particular aspect of your leadership style which has I think has made you such a um, you know such a um, familiar person to us all because you've you've taken it you've taken leadership in a particular way and I wonder if it's the you know the working in the education sector but you you seem to have taken great care in the way that you you led others. Well, I, I'm unaware of that. I just do it the way I do it. Well, I trained that you know I, I trained when I left school. I went to be a PE teacher. So mm-hmm. part of the job that in that capacity is the PE teacher in a school usually deals with every boy. If you're teaching the, the male PE in the in the school, mm-hmm. you deal with the whole. Uh, you don't deal with the specialists in maths or the specialists in English. You deal with ev- everyone and. I think part of your training was how to handle the the lads. And I think I, I felt that, you know, people used to say it's a very hard job, must be hard handling these big stars. Well, it's the very opposite. I said that earlier. And in fact, they want they want instructions. They want to know where they stand. They want a, a rule. They do. They, and mind you, they, they maybe challenge you. They want to try to break the rules. But uh, they knew the consequences of uh, disobedience. Yeah. And therefore, therefore, they were very, I've got to say that they were very responsive. And a bit of humour now and again certainly helps. And, you know, I always look for the, get, get a smile on the face uh, and look for it. This The humorous aspect where we can joke with them, as I said to Nicole, you know, this is not a pub team, this is Neil Liverpool, this is Scotland. You know, now, a line like that broke the ice and there was no, and he just did what he was told. And I didn't feel... You know that people think, oh, you, you know, you're dealing with Graham Soonis. When I was when I went with Alec Ferguson, and and I learned a lot uh-huh. just watching his Alec at work with the players. You know, they talk about the hairdryer. Uh-huh. I was with him in preparation, and we were over and doing altitude training in Santa Fe and New Mexico. Never once heard him raise his voice with an international team. Now he was ten games in charge of Scotland. And I asked Archie Knox, his colleague at Aberdeen and at Manchester United, Archie, I think he had a hairdryer once or twice. He said, a wee blast at someone. But it was conversational uh, attitude. It wasn't, you'll do this and you'll do that. It was, right, we get a free kick. Uh, what do we think? Anybody got a good free kick at your club that we could do? And it was a conversation. It wasn't like a, an instructor, a military operation. And I thought, this is the way to handle these guys. You don't bully them and you don't uh, demean them. And uh, I think you've got to be uh, just conversational. And uh, I, I don't know how I, I managed at all, but I, I, I didn't fi- find myself in any difficulty and I didn't find myself under any pressure, even from the media. You know, I got a lot of stick, mm-hmm. as you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and the, the the press would be would hammer you and look for fault, but I just accepted it, and it was courteous and answered their questions, cooperated fully. So they couldn't fault me in terms of cooperation. They could fault me in terms of results if they wanted to, but that was not through lack of effort. 
but that management of, of individuals is in the business world. That's what we do as well. We try to perfect our leadership style. We individualize it for certain people. But a lot of it is about the creation of the vision and getting individuals to believe that the journey we want to take the company on is achievable. Now, now you're sitting with um, football players gathered together, plus the infrastructure of the SFA, getting them to believe that Scotland can qualify for these tournaments. And as you mentioned, it had become a habitual thing to do that. But was there anything you had to do to work with players or or to, to get people to believe that this was possible to beat this team or to accomplish these goals? Well, I think the, the players would all tell you that I never, ever thought we were going to lose. <laughs> you know? And I wasn't unrealistic in my expectation. It was realistic, you know, and I was... Completely up front. And one of the things I did was, I don't read as much as I would like to, but I read every autobiography, Mm -hmm. particularly written in sport, and I still do. And, you know, and one book that really helped me enormously was, you know, I got it here with me because I thought, yeah, I might be talking about this book. The lady was called Hilary Owen, and it's called Creating Top Flight Team. But the pun is in the word flight. Because the top flight team, as you see, red arrows. Mm-hmm. And the red arrows is the team, I think, in the world with most precision. And and I read that book and it made a big impact on me. So much so that I invited Hilary Owen up to speak to the Scottish managers uh-huh. uh, and to tell them how they went about it with the red arrows. It's a fascinating, for the business world, it's a fascinating book because uh, when you're when you're trying to create this team, well, the word she uses throughout the world is the synergy of the team has got to be together. And the, the very interesting thing is this recruitment. And, and you know, inter, interview is the least reliable method of prediction of, a, of success. You know, that, that astonishes people. Uh-huh. But And I think the War Office Selection Board, I read that, if you want an officer in the, in the forces and you had to do it hurriedly during the war, uh, interview is the least reliable uh-huh. Look at the CV, uh-huh. look at what they've done, speak to people with whom they've worked, yeah. and you'll get a far better, in other words, get references. Now, and the, the team selection, they replace three of the Red Arrows every every year. There's nine of them, and they replace three. And how do they pick the three? Because everybody wants in the Red Arrows display team, all the RAF guys, and they all apply. So they invite maybe, they look at the CV, and they invite maybe a dozen of them to live with the six who are remaining. And the six who are remaining pick the three they want after they've lived for a week with them. Now, that's quite a, a novel way of doing it. And uh, so it's not the leader that picks them or the manager or the boss. It's the colleagues. Now, I don't think it would apply in football. <laughs> you say to the players, who are we wanting in our team? But you have to have a bit of autocratic uh, attitude with the, as a manager. But that book, for me, was quite a revealing uh, insight into managing and into precision and, and organisation and the synergy to try and get a team as a unit. And that's obviously the job of the Red Arrows. And if you don't trust the, the other word, last word, I'm going on one here, Russell, I'm sorry, but the word is trust. Uh-huh. If you don't trust this colleague, if you don't trust the guy that does the, the servicing of your aircraft, if you don't trust the air traffic control guy, if you don't trust the guy flying the aircraft next to you, there's no hope. So you've got to trust your colleagues in a football team. And I always was emphatic about that. 
you know, you, you trust him to do what he's told. And if we practice something and it's rehearsed, we know it's going to happen. And because we trust him. I'm sorry, I've gone and on. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that, I, I completely identify with that, Craig, because um, when, when I'm recruiting for the, the companies I'm with or the, the organisations I'm involved in, it, what you want to know is the person behind the interview. And talking yes. to other people and getting to know them is incredibly valuable. Yes. Now, in, in Scottish Business Network, we're pulling together Scots around the world and we spend a lot of time analysing how individuals in other countries view Scotland. Now, you must have travelled to many, many countries. What was your impression about how people saw Scotland? Well, I think they see Scotland uh, very favourably. If you're Scottish, you've got to start when you're abroad and you say, and you say you're from Scotland. Ah, Scotland! And they think of you as being, uh, uh, I would say, full of good humour. They think of you being, uh, uh, I would say, loyal, uh -huh. that you'll conform, you won't, there won't be trouble. You know, the, I said earlier, the Tartan Army get a reputation for having a few drinks and been a bit, uh, uh, how can we say, extravagant in their, in their, uh, in their attitude. I have to but, say, I, was never, I never saw trouble. In the time I travelled, no, I, well, I never saw trouble. That's right. You don't. You, you see, there's not trouble. I think they're good natured. Uh -huh. You know, I went to the World Cup when we were put out the World Cup uh, in ninety. I went to commentate for the BBC in the first game. I went to Marseille uh -huh. uh, to to do a commentary. Well, the trouble in the streets there in Scotland were out. I'll not tell you which team. It's a near a near neighbouring team, but they were causing no end of trouble. We didn't have that with the Scots. Now the Scotty, the attitude. Of the Scot abroad is, I think, to be a decent guy, he's got good fun, he's uh, not in any way uh, arrogant, there's humility about the Scots. And, you know, there's an attitude within Scotland, there's an anti-hero thing in Scotland. You're not allowed to be good at anything. You know, if you're, if you're Stephen Henry and you're winning the World Championship at Snooker, or you're getting too big-headed, you're getting too much money, you know. Now... And he's, he's, he's the most humble, decent guy. The other one that gets me is this. Paul Laurie didn't win the Open Championship. No, Van der Velde lost the Open Championship. Yeah, yeah. And Paul doesn't get the credit he deserves for winning that championship. You know, and the same, Alan Wells, oh, he only won the World Championship because the top Americans didn't turn up. Yeah. Now, this is the perception that the, the, the in Scotland, actually, that... There's an anti-hero. You're not allowed to be good. If you're good, you're getting too much money or you're getting too big-headed. Now, I don't think that perception exists abroad. Yeah. And I've, I've been lucky. I've, I've been all over uh, with the Scottish team and, and independently also working on television. Uh -huh. uh, you know, for example, did the World Cup in Japan, Korea, uh, working for uh, uh, TV and I did the World Cup working for Al Jazeera Television as well. And the Scots are, over the world, they are generally very welcome. And be honest, uh, Russell, I hope you'll agree with me this. When Scotland aren't in a tournament, it devalues the tournament. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, I wish Scotland were here. They would bring a great uh, attitude, a great group of fans to the environment and to the country. So, I mean, I'm, you've got, you hear me going on and on here. I'm, I, I'm enthusiastic about Scotland. Yeah. And about the presence of Scotland throughout the world where they are respected and they're 
their humility is respected and their humour their humour is respected. Uh, there, there's always a, a good welcome to a Scot. You know, I've I've done a burn supper in Hong Kong, a burn supper in Bahrain, and places like that. And you're welcome with open arms. You might be the worst speaker they've ever heard, but because you're from Scotland, <laughs> they think, "Oh, this is great." And I try not to. I, I, I think, Craig, you are. The, what you've we we did a survey about uh, nine months ago about attitudes to Scotland around the world, and what you said is completely true. And, and what we identified was it was almost as though the rest of the world was more impressed by Scotland than we were ourselves. Exactly. And I think we we have to get over that, and we work so hard with Scots around the world to help us with this about. No, no, that's achievable. And, and yeah. Scottish Business Network, we're a, a small and not-for-profit organisation bringing people together. But through the support of Scots in the US, we're currently in the process of opening an office in New York. And, 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 and it's possible, but you've, you've got to believe it. The, the, the final question I've got for you, Craig, is what are your thoughts on, on 2021 in Glasgow? And that, and that Scotland team returning as you did to the European Championships. What, what are your what are your thoughts for them? Well, I, I'm optimistic because I see a, a, a very good settled team now uh -huh. and some fine young players. I mean, we've, we've got two brilliant players. Unfortunately, they both play in the same positions. <laughs> we've got Robertson and Tierney are both left back. But I'm quite sure uh, Steve will uh, organise his team to get them both playing. You want your best players on the pitch. Yeah. Now, I genuinely think we have a, a good chance of success here. Uh -huh. Now, at the moment, there are 210 countries in FIFA, uh -huh. and we are 48th in that uh, ranking. You know, yeah. that's where we are at the moment. Now, we've been as low, I think. I think I was fortunate I got to about 20th in, in that uh, world ranking. Now, incidentally... We've got to be careful here about gender equality because we talk about football. We've got to say there are 142 FIFA ladies teams, uh -huh. and Scotland is 21st. Yep. And that now that's terrific. So I think we're making good progress in the women. Unfortunately, we're the, the least highest ranked in Britain. Mm -hmm. Both Irish teams, I think Northern Ireland are 41 and. Republic of, or the other way around, Republic of 45. We are, as I said to you, we are 48. England are fourth in the world. Yeah. Would you believe it, in the ranking? So you're asking me, how do you think we'll do? I think we'll do better than our world ranking yeah. of 48 because we're below the other three British countries in the ranking. Wales are ahead of us, would you believe? Uh, I'm trying to think. Wales are 42nd. Yeah. And we are 48th in the world at the moment. Now, the ranking's quite deceptive sometimes, but it gives a reasonable indication of where we stand. So I think it'll be a good tournament. I think Scotland will, uh, I hope, overachieve uh, and uh, surprise a few people. And I'm loving the up prospect. I hope I can get a ticket to get down to Wembley to see that game, <laughs> to see us playing them. <laughs> I think the whole nation wants to be there and, and hopefully the, the COVID rules will allow us to attend. But Craig Brown, can I thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an thank absolute you. pleasure listening to you and the comments coming in are saying how pleased people are to see you looking so well 
after the, the, the scary moment you had with your health last year. So please, Thank you. It's been a privilege. we all hope to see you at Wembley for that game. <laughs> thanks, Russell. It's been a privilege to be with you. Thank you very much. Thanks to Russell and a big thanks to Craig. The book he mentioned is called Creating Top Flight Teams, Unique Team Building Skills from the RAF Red Arrows by Hilary Owen. Hope you enjoyed the chats and we'll be back next week with another episode as we return to our usual fortnightly frequency. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.